0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, onto to this week's message. There's a popular term that. I've heard it a lot in the last couple of years is the, the phrase or the word deconstruction uh, it's not talking about building projects or whatever it's talking more of a philosophical idea and it's actually been around for decades sort of postmodern philosophers decades ago were talking about deconstructing and deconstructing the Western world and deconstructing these you know modern narratives and all that but In the last couple of years I've heard a lot in terms of faith, people deconstructing their faith. They're trying to um undo the the faith that they have been taught and separate the, the truth from the cultural things that crept in there and all that and um so there's a lot of that going on. And actually, what has happened over the last couple of years is a lot of people have lost their faith, have walked away from uh, Christianity or, or whatever religious beliefs that they had. They've walked away from those, and they go, oh, "I don't believe these things anymore. I'm I'm out." Uh, and they they call it sort of deconstruction. I mean, it's been going on a lot. There's been a, a statistic, or the. There's a category they call they call this phenomenon they call it the rise of the nuns, which nun does not mean the Catholic ladies. It's not talking about that kind of nun. It's N O N E. It's people who, when asked what their religious preference is on a survey, they check none, um, and so they've seen an increase in that. In fact, I can show you the increase on this this little graph here, this picture. Um, Basically, in 2008, this is percentage of people who checked none on a survey. Uh, the darker the state is, the more people check none by percentage. So you can see in 2008 versus 2022... Uh, if you, if you, it, I know it's really small. Just to say, Virginia was none back then, and it's still none. Uh, still, there's a large percentage of people, and you can see how it spread from, man, the West Coast, right? It's always the West Coast. They brought spread across the whole country. A lot more people check that they have no religious belief in 2022 than they did in 2008. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Things we could go into, um, but, but I thought it's sort of interesting to see what's going on. But of all the reasons, sometimes it's pain or disappointment. I, I'd say at a broad case, category. One of the biggest reasons we lose our faith is the category of doubts. We just have doubts about what is true, what is good, what is right, what have I been taught, what actually lines up with the real world. Um, And and another way of saying that is I, I think people are seeing things with their eyes that their brains cannot believe. There's a mismatch between what I think is true and what I'm seeing happen in the world around me, and I'm trying to make sense of it. One way to think about that is think about an optical illusion. There was many to pick from, but I'll put this one up on the screen. Uh, look, at this, look at this as an optical illusion. Think of the white lines as like a road, as roads, and look at one of the intersections closely. If you look at that intersection, it will appear to be white. But all of the other intersections in your periphery are going to have little, little gray or black spots appearing in them. Do you see it? It's annoying, right? Because it's not there there are no little gray, black or black spots there. Your brain is just having a hard time interpreting what it's seeing. And so your eyes and your brain are not agreeing. And it's just like your eyes are playing tricks on you, that kind of thing. Um, this is a little bit, I think, what, what doubts are like. People uh, struggle because of what they're seeing and they, they can't make it make sense. And so they, they, they have doubts. You, you see this maybe in a religious sense, you see uh, religious people voting in a certain way politically, and other people are looking at that, and they're going, how can you vote for scoundrels? You know, how could you do this? Uh, I thought you were religious. I thought character mattered to you. How can you vote for people who don't have character? And, you know, obviously, a lot of times religious people are going, none of them have character. Who do you want me to vote for? But, um, but, But, you know, there's been a challenge there. Or, People will see a group of people that they were taught or that they believe these are the there's good people and there's bad people in the world. Those are the bad people, and then they meet someone from the bad people group, and they go, "Actually, they're not bad. They're pretty nice people. They're pretty good people." And so that becomes this dissonance thing. My eyes are seeing something different than what my brain thinks, and it can be uh, a, a, a big challenge for people. Um, or, or sometimes, what happens is we go through. A lot of pain. We struggle. We, we lose someone close to us. We see hard things happen in ourselves or in the world. And we say something like, man, I thought there's this loving God who cares about me. It doesn't seem like he cares about me because horrible things are happening right now. Basically, when our experience runs against what we thought was supposed to be true, uh, we end up having, having doubts. So I want to read today a Psalm. We've been reading through these Psalms that Jesus would have known. If the Psalms are like a, an Israelite hymn book, uh, these songs would have been very popular and familiar in Jesus' day. And I want to read through a Psalm that Jesus would have known. Um, it's from uh, Psalm 73. We, we did Psalm 37 uh, a few weeks ago. And I said then that that was a psalm. If you feel like the world is crazy or has gone mad around you, Psalm 37 is useful. Psalm 73, I said then, is another one that kind of fits in that category. But I think Psalm 73 uh, has some good stuff for those of us who are doubters. It was written by a guy named Asaph. Most of the psalms were written by David. Some of them were by Moses. And a few were by this guy named Asaph. We know nothing about him. But I think what we get from this psalm is maybe the roots of our doubts. We, we see some of the root of our doubts, and we see a solution in here about our doubts. This is an important topic for me, okay? Um, I, I probably am naturally a skeptical person. I, I, maybe I come by honestly by my parents or something like that, but I, I can be a doubter. And so um, this stuff's pretty important, and it's important to me. It's also important to me because I'm, I'm a... In case you didn't know, I'm a religious teacher. Um, And so I'm the guy who has to stand up and talk about, hey, there was this guy named Jesus. He died. He came back from the dead. I know that's going to kick up some questions for you about people coming back from the dead. It might sound like a fairy tale. I get it. So I have to wrestle with that stuff. A lot of us have opinions on religious, political, moral, philosophical ideas. You may have opinions on all of that stuff and it doesn't matter at your job because you can still go to your job and make, as long as you make money for them, they're like, cool, believe whatever. Like, sometimes those things don't overlap. But for me, my job does overlap those things and I can't afford to not make a stand on those things. And so I have to dive into some of those things and, you know, and, and ask these big questions, and I have to be convinced. I, and, which means I wrestle with doubts. I wrestle with the But wait, and what about this? And what about this side? So I, I am a kind of person who goes into this stuff and, and have and have to work through my own doubts because I'm also going to talk to you uh, about it. And so um, let, let's let's take a look at this Psalm 73 um, and and see what this guy Asaph is saying and what he observes and where his doubts come from, and maybe what the solution is. Psalm 73 starts this way, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's a good start, right? Like, yeah, this is going to be a happy psalm, right? Verse 2, it goes south quickly. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So it's a nice song of praise, good opener, but goes goes badly quickly. Um, he says, uh, surely God's good, good people in Israel. But as for me, you know, it, like God's works for other people. But as for me, my feet nearly slipped. Now, this isn't um, a skeptic necessarily. This isn't a non-believer, like an atheist or whatever. He's acknowledging God. There is a God of Israel. He's true. He's good. So he's coming from that place, but he's saying, but actually i almost stumbled here like i'm struggling i'm struggling he's he's not in the valley necessarily in the pit he's coming from a place of a believer maybe trying to take the high road a moral person whatever and he's going yeah but i'm struggling here um, I'm getting a little bit wobbly. Why? Because his eyes are seeing things his brain can't comprehend or don't know what to do with. Um, and specifically in verse 3, he says, I saw the env-, he's envious of the arrogant. He saw uh, prosperity with his eyes. So the doubt comes through your eyeballs first, okay? He sees the prosperity of the wicked. And he's like, those guys suck. And they're winning. Like, what is going on with horrible people that are doing really well? This is, this is, a, this is a doubt. This is a tale as, as old as time. When you see terrible people get away with it or get healthy or, or have a good experience of life, you're like okay, if there's a just God in the world, then those terrible people wouldn't be getting away with this. And so you, this drives you to doubt. You, you ask the kind of the classic doubt questions about God. You say, is he there? Is he fair? Does he care? Are you seeing this God? Because this looks really bad. And, and I'm, I'm either, you either, either don't exist or you do, and you're just not fair about the way you handle the world, or you do exist. Maybe you'd be fair, but you just don't care. You don't care what's going on with my family, or my brother is doing to me, or my, you know, or, or this group over here, or or what's happening in the Middle East, like Middle East, like you just maybe you just don't care, and and um, and so what I want us to see here in, in this psalm, and I and what I want us to know, and I think this has been a shift for me personally over the years because I've taught about doubt before, but one thing I'm I'm warming to and, and, and maybe have, have opened up to personally on this topic is, is this. Doubts can be positive. Doubts can be positive. You see this actually all over in other areas of life. Like pain is positive. And we don't think of pain as positive. We think of pain as negative. But if you think about it, pain actually has a very positive function in your life. It tells you to notice something and do something different. Very obviously, if you touch a hot stove, you will feel pain and you'll pull away. The reason you feel that pain is to stop you leaving your hand on the stove and losing your hand as it burns off. So the, the brief experience of the pain changes your behavior. It, and, and pain functions that way. Anger functions that way. Anger can be a bad thing. We tend to think of anger as negative, except that if we weren't angry, nothing would change. In a lot of cases, we wouldn't fight injustice because it wouldn't make us angry. You're like, ah, injustice, who cares? No, like, when, when you see something wrong and you get angry about it, that's actually, it doesn't feel good, but it's actually a positive thing. Pain can be positive in a sense. Anger can be positive in a sense. And doubt is the same way. You can experience these doubts and you can go to a very dark place. Or the doubt can get you to re-examine your life, re-examine your faith, and, and drive you into a deeper understanding, and it can actually um, deepen your faith. You see this um, if you read through the scripture. So we, I mentioned before, we have formation groups that are reading through the Bible in a year They're on this plan, and we have been reading through, uh, so far, Genesis through Deuteronomy over the last few months. And um, one of the things I, I just love about it is it's, it's almost like a, a, a necessary counterbalance to the idea that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And and, and, and like we, we, we often can come to God in this like it's a warm blanket that helps us feel good and all that kind of stuff. And you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you're going to see God showing up in some ways that are pretty uncomfortable to modern ears and to modern readers. You're like, Ugh, that's that's rough. Like he's doing some stuff. And... What I appreciate that about that is if, if God is who he is, then he can't cleanly fit in the box that I want to put him in. Like there's got to be more there or, or, or if, if God cleanly fits in the box that I put him in, then I probably made him up. Like I, I made him up so he would fit nicely in what I already believe. But there are things you read in there. You go, man, this is outside of the comfortable space for me. This is uncomfortable. This is weird. And it can drive you to doubt, man, I don't know about the God who does this thing and interacts this way, like I'm not sure. Or it could drive you to re-examining your faith and helping you get a bigger picture. Because the God, the lovey-dovey, you know, buddy Jesus is maybe fine in air-conditioned, comfortable America with a good economy, But maybe that lovey-dovey buddy Jesus does not work in Bosnia back in the day or in Rwanda or in in current struggles in, in Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine. Like maybe we need a fuller picture of justice and a fuller picture of how do we deal with people who are dealing with real pain and suffering and hurt. So the doubts that we might have even when we read the scripture can actually, if we let them, they can drive us deeper into Our faith. Um, They can push us from Jesus loves me, this I know, to I also worship a God who's able to handle death and divorce and disease and and genocide and pain and all of that. All that is to say, um, I don't think all doubts are bad. I think they can be positive. Just like pain makes you pull away from heat, So you're not in more pain. Doubt can make you re-examine your faith so it gets deeper. So our, our approach, I love this verse, the book of Jude, second to the last book in the New Testament. Just as a little aside, Jude 22 says this, and have mercy on those who doubt. So when we run into friends who are doubting and are in a hard space, the response is not, stop it. Don't have doubt. You know, turn the frown upside down or whatever. Like, that's not the that's not the move. The move is, have mercy on those who doubt. Okay, you're in it, man. You're you're in a season. Let me not chastise you for it, but let me just walk with you. Maybe offer you some other perspective, but let me just walk with you through your doubts. Let me have mercy on you because this is a hard season. Um, so, how do we react? When, when doubts settle on us or, or others around us. Um, I, I think Psalm 73 actually gives us some ideas. Number one is this, check your motives. First, first, first thing to do, check your motives. Listen to what he says again, verse three. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What is the source of his doubts? It's not pain necessarily. His doubts are coming from envy and observing prosperity of people who are pretty crummy, so he's seeing wicked people prosper, and that drives him to doubts. Now, what those wicked people are like? Verses four through fifteen give us a, a perspective of that. Actually, I'm not going to read them to you. Joaquin just read them to you. So, if if what Joaquin was reading from when you are listening to that, you're like, "This sounds a little dark." Yes, that's what he's talking about. This is the people. And honestly, if you go back and read it, Psalm 4 through 15, he's talking about Israelites in the ancient world, like 1,000 BC or whatever it is. But it, it fits modern Americans too. Like there's a lot of stuff there that you're like, ah, this is uncomfortable because he's, they're, they're kind of talking about just the way we can all tend to be. It's uncomfortable. So th- there's a, a, a common problem here is um, the idea, the belief that I'm following God, therefore I should prosper. And doubt shows up when you see other people prospering who are, who are being wicked or not following God. What, what I've noticed is that doubts often present to us as if they are valid, um, like intellectual problems. Like, I just can't make it square in my head, and we think it's about our thinking entirely. But there's more to it. There's actually a, a, a deep emotional experience of it. I I read this, um, I didn't actually read the biography, but the biography of Steve Jobs uh, contains a story about his experience with church when he was a kid. Let me just read it to you. The story goes that when Jobs was just 13, he came to church one day carrying not a Bible with him, but instead a 1968 edition of Life magazine, which featured a pair of starving children from Biafra on the front cover. He approached his Lutheran minister and asked, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise even before I do it? The pastor answered, yes, God knows everything. Jobs then pulled out the life cover and he asked, well, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those children? To which the pastor responded, Steve, I know you don't understand, but yes, God knows about that. After such a perplexing, dissatisfying, and even maddening response, Jobs announced that he didn't want to have anything to do with worshiping such a God, and as a result, he never went back to church again. Honestly, and this is probably my professional bias, but I read that story, and I just feel bad for the pastor. Like, he tried to get that right, like, you know, and and maybe had that conversation gone differently, we wouldn't have iPhones in our pockets today, and we can debate whether the world would be better for it. Um, but, you know, a 13-year-old kid is like, tell me why, and you're like, I know you don't get that, like, you know, to, to go into, like, your brain is not even developed enough to understand the nuances of what I would tell you about this, but I'm just going to tell you this, and then he's like, no, that's a terrible answer, and I'm going to, you know, what I, like, but here's the deal, that as I read that and think about it, Jobs is not bringing an intellectual puzzle to be solved. He's bringing an intellectual and emotional mystery to be dealt with here. Why? How is this work? Why am I seeing these things with my eyes that my brain doesn't understand? But it's not just his brain doesn't understand, his heart doesn't understand. When we have a strong emotional reaction to something, it's not just an intellectual problem, it is an emotional problem. And, and that's what we need to understand. Look, if you say to me, I don't believe that God exists. I could, I could talk to you intellectually. Like the first question, if someone says to you, I don't believe God exists. The first question I would ask is, tell me about the God you think doesn't exist. It's a weird response, right? But, but really like, if you said, well, I don't believe in a God who's like an old man on a chair and a throne, I'd be like, me neither. All right, next, well, I don't believe that God either. What, what, what are we talking about? Let's define the terms. What is it you don't believe in? Like, those are intellectual conversations to have. Why don't you believe in God? Okay, all that. But honestly, more often, um, I have other questions that I want to ask. When someone, I don't believe in a God exists, especially if they've got heat about it. I would, what I'd want to ask is, why are you so upset? Who hurt you? Tell me about your disappointment. What, what has not worked out the way you thought it was going to work out? Or honestly, and this is weird, you're going to think this is out of left field. But if someone says, I don't believe in God, maybe my follow-up question should be, who are you sleeping with? Who do you want to be sleeping with? Because it's complicated. Our motives are complicated. Our desires, our wants these things get mixed up and shaken about in a cocktail of thought and emotion and belief and and all of these things kind of, and they come out as, I don't believe in God. And it's like, well, I bet there's a lot more going on there in your entire body than just what your brain thinks about a particular issue. If you're in a season of doubt, I would encourage you to check your motives, to really drill down into it. I had a friend, um, maybe I've told this story before, I I can't remember. Uh, I had a friend, I saw at my high school reunion, my 20-year reunion, and um, he was a good friend in high school, and I remember him, he was very Republican-y, okay? Like Rush Limbaugh Republican-y in in high school. That was his thing. Just could spout the lines, whatever. And I meet him at the 20-year reunion, he is the opposite of that. He's very liberal Democrat-y in his political ethical, moral worldview, whatever. And I asked him, I said, why, why the change? Like you were super sort of Republican-y kind of guy in high school. And he basically said, well, I got out on my own. I lived on my own. And I basically thought through the issues and, and it made more sense to me. So like, like I thought I've intellectualized basically my way through it. And now I understand these other views are the right view. And I, and I thought, well, I mean, that's kind of true. And I don't don't know what's in his head, right? Like, I'm just from the outside as an observer. I'm like, also, this is also true. You lived in Manhattan for 20 years as a lawyer. I'm guessing that you quoting, you know, Rush Limbaugh as a lawyer in Manhattan is not going to get you matches on Hinge. I'm just guessing. Ain't nobody, you're not getting invited to parties. Like, the culture was a certain way and you had to adjust to it in order to, you know, get dates or to make friends or what, to go, go to the parties or whatever. Like, uh, and, and, and to be fair, like, we're all like that. Let's be honest about it. We all have a mixture of motives that drive who we are. Let's just be honest about it. I have them too. I'm a, I'm a religious person. That's safer to be in Richmond, Virginia, I suppose, than, uh, than Manhattan, probably. Um, you know, there's probably more people that I could find that have similar views. And and maybe, and I'm a Christian, so maybe, maybe I'm a Christian because I grew up in America. Like, if I'd grown up in India, wouldn't I be Hindu? Probably. But the truth is, I could grow up in India and be Hindu, and I could grow up in Germany and be an atheist, and I could grow up in America and be a Christian. None of that, all of that are factors, but none of that really covers the whether those things are true or not. Is Hinduism an actual path to God or is Christianity the way? And that's not, that doesn't say anything about whether it's true. It just says something about um, how we might be biased or, or how, um, how, how we might come to the answers that, that we come to. All of us have mixed motives. And so maybe the question to ask yourself is not, do I believe in God? But maybe the question as we're going through our seasons of doubt, the question to ask is, what do you want to be true? That's a, that's a desire question. What do I want to be true about God? What do, I, what do I want to believe right now? Peel back the layers a bit. I mean, sometimes we deconstruct our faith and lose our faith because of hypocrites or church leaders aren't doing what I want or Donald Trump or some nonsense, right? It's some reason. And, it's, and sometimes we lose our faith because of that, but sometimes we lose our faith because we think that God wants us to be a certain way and we just don't want to be that way. And actually keeping him around is kind of annoying because he's going to cramp our style. Like, I, I, I think that also happens. So first step when we're in season of doubt is to just check your motives. Like, look in a little bit and maybe bounce some ideas off a friend, which brings me to my second point. Psalm 73, after he describes what people are like, he goes down in verse 16 and says this, but when I thought... When I thought how to understand this, like, why do the wicked prosper, right? He goes, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He's like, man, people are awful, wicked people are prospering, and I'm trying to figure it out, and honestly, I'm exhausted trying to figure it out. It is a wearisome task, he says, to even figure out why stupid people are getting by and it says, and he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. In a sense, he went to a, a temple, right? Like the, the temple, but we would say, like, till I got in with the church. And this is my second point: when you go through a season of doubt, lean into the community of faith. Yes, he goes to the temple, but he goes to the space where the people gather. And I think doubt flourishes when we have to carry it by ourselves, but our doubts can dissipate when we find people who can walk alongside us and can carry them with us and can help us in the moments when we feel weak. And then when we feel strong, we can help them in their moments of weakness. Doubts are better handled when we handle them together. Um, but I think there's more to it than that. It's not just... Um, He says, I went to the sanctuary of God. It is not just that there are other people there that are helping me carry my doubts. I actually think the gathering in worship as a community is very helpful when we're in seasons of doubt. This is one of the most frustrating things about 2020 was government saying, no, you can't gather together. I'm like, no, the gathering matters. And it matters because when we worship together, we lift our voices together. We sing words together. We sing things that, even if we're not feeling them in the moment, they they stick with us. We take communion together. We the bread and the juice. We share these things. We eat these things. Um, we we give give financially, um, which which has an effect on our hearts. Like there's there's a whole body experience of gathering, and I think that's actually important because your doubts are a whole body experience. Your doubts are not merely intellectual. Your doubts are your heart, your mind, your soul, your, in your body, sensations that you're having. And the way out of the doubt is not just just think a little better. The way out of the doubt is a whole body experience. And this is why I think actually worship matters, that we, that we gather with the community. It helps us to engage ourselves and remember the truth. Asaph saw the community, the sanctuary of God, as a place to get needed perspective. And he actually got perspective on the wicked that he was envying. Verse 18, listen to what he says about them. He says, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. And this is the last idea i would say is this notice number three notice where you stand he's he stumbles in the beginning he says i stumbled in basically in his doubts when he saw the wicked prosper but something about worship and coming together he was able to discern their end he says and he said you make them um basically get swept away in their terrors you know i think we can see this now there are moments in life when we all Are in this together and we're all in these big moments Um, an election a war economic downturn pandemic there are these things that we all experience and when we're all feeling some pressure of a thing like that this is when you can see where are you really standing who is thriving here and who is getting swept away in in terror um, how many people get freaked out about dying? It's uh, sort of the classic denial of death that is very um, prevalent in our culture. I actually talked to a friend this week and he had just attended a funeral of a friend of his. And I said, how was it? And he said, I think it was really good. He said, in a, in a sort of stoic, sort of memento mori, remember that you will die idea, he said, I think it's good that I experience it and and and. It reminds me that this is coming for me too one day and, and I need to pay attention to how I live. And I think there is tremendous value in that. Um, but I think a lot of us live with denial of death. We're going to work, we're going to get educated, you're going to date, you're going to have maybe get married, have a family, and you're going to worry about all that and focus on all that and then you're going to try to make money and then more money and then vacation and all of the things on, uh, on American life and all of that if you stay really busy and engaged in all that, it'll allow you to not think about that this too will end and that, there's, there's, that death is coming for you too. And, I, and, you know, it's a depressing thought, I guess. Like, who wants to go there? Um, but the pandemic was a reminder that this all ends. And I think what you can observe is that those who freak out the most are those with the most to lose. Those who are like, oh, no, if, if you really believe that this life is all there is, you're going to be the most freaked out when this life is coming to an end. But Christians, if they're really believing and following and living out their faith, should have something different. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Philippians 1. Listen to what he, ta- to what he says. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That is my eager expectation and hope. That I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. This is a very different idea about death. This is a Christian idea about death. The idea is... Um, you know what? There's something there for you too. There's a future. There's eternity. You're going to be with Christ. You're going to be in in paradise. This doesn't mean we should be enthusiastic about dying. I'm not in a hurry. I don't want to go. I I still feel like there's more to do here and experience. Um, But I'm also convinced that this, that we are living and experiencing is not all there is. And the pandemic was a reminder of that. Something, if not that, something will bring me to an end. And and what are my options there? Where am I standing compared to my neighbors? Am I going to fight because death is coming? Am I going to, as the Dylan Thomas poem says, rage against the dying of the light? Is that what I'm going to do, rage? Or am I going to be hopeful that God has given me something, something else? Asaph notices in this psalm that those who have no footing are the ones who rage. Those who are standing um, they're going to be sw- those who are standing on no faith, on no God, those who are wicked, he, he said, they're going to be swept away and they're going to be terrified. So I want you to notice where you stand as you doubt as well. Bad things happen, but you have comfort in God. And if, if you don't have a relationship with God and you don't believe in him, if you say I'm agnostic or an atheist, bad things are going to happen to you too. There's no guarantee here. You don't, you don't become a Christian and then all the bad things go away. Like, we're all going to go through it. But if you don't have God, you don't have at least that comfort. You're just going to go, bad things happen, and this is awful, and I guess this is just going to be the end, and that's all there is. And you can put your faith in science or econ- in the economy or relationships, but um, those things, there's going to be challenges with all of that for you. So actually, this is maybe one of the reasons I believe in Jesus, because he gives me hope and that there, there's comfort there, and there's actually a future. And so, man, if you're in a season of doubt right now, I want to have mercy on you and walk with you. I want to beat you over the head. Oh, you, you just get your head right, you know. It, I, it's, there are seasons, and it's hard. But let me just remind you, if you're in that season, to, to check your motives. Really get clear about why you're doubting, not just that you doubt. And lean into the community of, of God like Surround yourself with people who believe, who can help pick you up, and just the full body experience of worship. And then notice where you stand. Consider where you're standing and how it might be better or worse than if you were standing somewhere else. Um, I, I think those things will will actually help you when your eyes see things that your brain can't understand. Let's pray. God, doubt is a very real and necessary part of faith. It is uh, the, uh, the other side of the coin that we need to recognize. So God, I pray we come out of this viewing doubt as a potentially positive thing that we can have and grow through and come out reexamined and stronger on the other side. Um, God, I've seen over the years people have doubts and it 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 cripples them. It It makes them weaker. It makes them... Angry, or um, and, and I understand those reactions. I pray you uh, you do something different here. You uh, take the doubts that float around in our minds, and you help us build on those, and those drive us to um, growth and and a stronger, more resilient faith because we've wrestled. Um, thank you, God, for being the God who does answer, who hears us in our pain, the God that is there, the God that actually is fair, and the God that actually cares. Thank you for being that God. And I proclaim that even in the moments when I'm not feeling it. Um, and I pray that we all we all do so. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.